This is the Pants Off Podcast. Take your pants off. Take your pants off. Like eating out of the dumpster of a fancy restaurant, you are listening to the Pants Off Podcast. Everything music, arts, and entertainment. Just two people having a conversation about the latter and all other kinds of fortuitous bullshit. My name is Brian Campos. And before I go any further, I just want to let you know that Pants Off Podcast is a free podcast coming to you whenever I have time to put them out. Here, a stream must download us for free on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Mobile users download those apps. Subscribe, follow, rate, review, however it is you choose to listen to us. Whether you're back in school, doing backflips, or just backing out of commitments, whichever way you choose to do so, I would let you know that I do up. Appreciate it. We are on social media. Hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Still checking that email. Pantsoutpodcast at gmail.com. Send me any information about your projects, bands, upcoming shows, links to your pages, or you just want to say, how can I really miss you if you never quite go away? I'll be sure to check them out. I want to welcome any new listeners and welcome back any old ones. If you like what we're doing here, tell your friends about us. Share those links on social media. Dig deep into the bowels of the internet. Find that old message board you used to troll back in the mid-2000s. Create a new post. Let's get the word out there. So, it's been a minute and in that time since I last put up an episode, I quit my job. I'm back in school. I'm a schoolboy, as my brother likes to call me. Still navigating through this existential crisis I'm having one day at a time, like so many others out there. I always have to ask myself, what am I doing? Where am I going? And it seems that time is always against so many people like myself. We have so much we want to get in, but in 24 hours, it comes and goes like that. It's all about planning setting goals and putting in the work to see those goals through albeit sometimes it can get a little murky but you just got to put in the action and just see where it all takes you somebody who is one of the most ambitious talented goal-driven workhorses i have met is also my guest today, Eric Prada. He's the drummer for Fever 333 and one of my favorite bands of all time, Night Versus. He's an amazing visual artist. You may have seen some of his drumming videos where he combines acrobatic feats into his drumming. A couple years back, one of the videos he did went viral where he put a GoPro on his chest and he was playing the drums. He All of a sudden, he gets up, he does a 180 backflip into another separate set of drums and he just keeps playing right where he left off. The guy's a maniac. He's an innovator in his playing, utilizing virtually every part of his drum kit imaginable. Everything from the bottom of the heads to the legs of the toms to the top screws of his hi-hats. I'm not bullshitting you. You name the part. He's probably incorporated it into a rhythm one way or another. It's his imaginative and boundary-pushing approach to playing drums that has made him one of the more recognizable and respected players today. The incorporation of the physical art. He's an amazing drawer. He's got art all over his heads, his cymbals, his shoes. The performance art, he's very energetic. He's doing all the crazy shit. And in his playing, 
It's setting him apart as truly a unique trailblazer who's now influencing a new generation of drummers and artists alike. Who knows what kind of shit they're going to be doing. Not only do I enjoy his music, his art, his videos, and seemingly everything he does, I enjoy Eric as a person. I met him several times in the past. There was a point in time where me and my buddy Boz got really into Night Versus, and we travel around to see him. They did tours with Let Live. They did a lot of touring with this band called Harvard, who was also a favorite of mine. They were a really fucking good group. They're not currently active. Go check them out. And every time I spoke with Eric, he was so personable and enthusiastic. It kind of was Infectious. I will say that although it's been some years, he's grown, he's changed, he's matured a little bit. He's still every bit the same personable, enthusiastic dude I met some odd years ago. A guy who, while a dedicated, serious professional musician, he is still a fan of music and he can separate himself from that writer performer and articulate his love for a band in the most simplest of terms and that's what i love to do you don't need to go into all the nuances which you can but you can just be like oh i fucking love that riff in that song or that dude's fucking cool i love that band and it's shit like that we talk about in this interview our love for various bands and such as well as his development of his own unique quote-unquote style his goals for that and where he wants to go with it jumping off of helicopters onto a drum set on a moving battleship or whatever the fuck it's gonna be we also talk a little bit about night verses where they were at when i met him several years ago what they went through when they went through the departure of their vocalist doug robinson and how they want to continue to forge ahead i had a lot of fun doing this and i just want to thank eric for giving me the little bit of time that he has even though he's incredibly busy whether it's editing video or coming up with new creative pieces or writing other music check out all of his sick drumming videos on his instagram at eric and prada there are links to all of his projects, like his drawings page, Hexwave, Fever's recent album, Strength in Numbers, is out, as well as the latest Night Versus record from the Gallery of Sleep. You can stream those. Buy them on vinyl if you take. Please give back. You know how it goes. I'm going to play in with one of my favorite Night Versus songs of all time. It's called Cathexis. It was off an album called Lift Your Existence. I'm going to quit bullshitting, and so let's pick up the mitt and catch some sliders on this Pants Off Podcast, episode 124. Eric and Prada take gum off.
didn't mean to like keep bugging you. Oh, dude, it's not like that. I, uh, I mean, you helped me out when we were doing that little video a long time ago. Oh so yeah, yeah. When I saw the thing, I was like, hell yeah, I got you. <laughs> nice. I appreciate that. Last time we chatted, I've been dying to ask you. Uh, we talked about this was like pre uh, the new at the driving record. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Before that came out, so I've been dying to know like what your thoughts were about that last album. And you can, uh, you can be honest about it. It's is fine. this on record? Yeah, it's on the record. Okay. Uh, <laughs> one, I still think they're like one of the coolest bands on the planet. Mm-hmm. I think they did a pretty dope record, and I've listened to it a lot. And the last song on that record, I listened to like maybe like a thousand times that year. But I'm always pretty honest with myself when I kind of review other people's work and the stage that they're in. And I think the only thing that I missed on the record is just... Uh, Cedric torturing his own voice. That that, but but I don't blame him, and he's in a different phase. And if anything, it'd be lame for him to be like pretending to be something that he's not right now. Right. Um, I just think that that might have been the only factor that I like was looking for. My no, that I should say my um eighth grade self was looking for. <laughs> uh, but that being said, man, it's like you you can sit there and you can forget about the nostalgia having a factor and just judge it based off how you feel in the moment. But realistically, when I compare it to the other like punk and, and, and creative rock records that came out that year, it's still mm-hmm. better than, than 95% of them. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I was on this whole like if Jim Ward isn't on it, I ain't fucking gonna fuck with it, you know. I mean, I get that. I, I <laughs> love, I love his contributions. I think he's a huge factor of that band. But also, um, I always have to do my research before I start to judge stuff. And when right. I when I back went back into some of the podcasts that they did with Dean Del Rey, and they mm. kind of thoroughly explained the situation, I totally understood what they did. And at this point, there's there's only so many artists I like at my age. So yeah. I'd rather them put out a record that's their best attempt with the pieces they have and see what I can get from it. than them just not do it because one of the guys isn't as down as the rest of them. are. Right. That being said, I thought it was pretty fucking sweet and I, I didn't want to like it at first, but I kept going back to it and it's, it's pretty fucking solid. I think that's cool, man. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and again, dude, that I want to know what that last song is. Let me look at Spotify. Real fast oh, yeah, go for it. I, I don't want to leave without saying it, but literally it's like one of my favorite at the driving songs of all the t- of all time. And ever since then, I was like, I wonder what Eric thinks about this. Because we were like, hmm. Dude, because that <laughs> band is just uh, hostage stamps. Oh, yeah. They're one of a kind, and they kind of changed everything, And f- especially for me. I mean, I literally will never forget seeing the one show at, at Big Day Out when they opened with Arc Arsenal. Oh. Absolutely changed everything about what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be as a musician. And um, I swear to God, if that if they didn't play that way that very day because i've watched the same song performed on other shows and even though they were amazing and they gave that same effort there was something about that day that they just seemed kind of like transcendent even through a really poorly downloaded kazaa (laughs) pixelated video i remember that (laughs) i just was blown away and it, it forever changed what i what i wanted to be as a as a musician so i uh i'm like forever grateful for everything they do nice uh, I saw you play drums for Goldfinger uh, in the fall of 17. I was in Chicago that weekend. Oh, that those shows were... Wait, what show was that? Uh, it was on uh, like September. I think end of September, early Those October. shows were crazy. And it was at like Concord Music Hall in Chicago. I don't even remember. I know exactly what show yeah. it was. Yeah, and I was like... I had heard that you were just kind of doing like spot runs with them. Yeah. And uh, it was funny because... John Feldman introduced you as being like this 19 year old like oh, drum prodigy. I'm like, I 
don't think he's 19. I think he's a little bit older than that. I don't know if he was just trying to like Michael Jackson play it up. No, like. John John has a lot of fun live. <laughs> he also uh, throws a lot of curveballs. And that that run we did specifically was crazy in the best way possible. It it keeps me on my my toes and like gets me to be a better musician. But I remember that show uh, or one of the shows of those three shows. Him literally getting up and saying. This next song our drummer doesn't know, but I really want to hear it, and just playing a song you never heard in my whole life. That wasn't that wasn't put on, and you, I think you even finished it. Finished oh, it out then too. yeah, that show, yeah. yeah. Um, no, it was definitely not put on. I didn't know that song. Holy and shit! He, because he skipped I... the Operation Ivy cover that I had prepared for. Because <laughs> I think it, the song was Questions. I think, dude, you got a good memory. It was. I questions. remember it because it was it was a good. I love that fucking song, and it yeah, was yeah. cool that he played it just by himself. But then you came in. Right at the end and like killed it. And I'm like, I thought they fucking like kind of put up, put us on on that okay, one. Okay, so that was the third night. <laughs> okay. The, the first night, I had no idea. The thing is that never got added to the set list. Mm-hmm. So the last night, I I kind of prepared. And then the last night, I was like, well, I'll at least learn the end to come in. The yeah. very first night, he said that. And uh, I just watched the audience air drum me the drums. Because I, I knew some Goldfinger material, but it wasn't a band that I listened to. Um, enough to know stuff other than like the top five right hits that they had. So that was a that was a crazy first. They show were with huge, that especially here in Des Moines and like across the Midwest. So like when like I haven't seen them in like since I was like fucking. 16. Dude, I wish I would have known you were at that. I show. know I was gonna hit you up, but I fucking it was like uh, I would have had to fucking shoot you a message through like Facebook, and I just was like, ah, I'm not gonna fucking bother him. But dude, next time just hit me up. Feel, feel free. <laughs> I will. Uh, you're originally from the Orange County area, right? right? Yeah. And you grew up with, uh, your bandmate, Jason Butler. So yeah, Jason, um, I met when I was 15 and we were playing my very first band or like real band was with Nick and Riley, who I'm still playing with the night versus. And we saw let lives like pure volume demos in 2005 and we thought they were cool. They reminded us of Glassjaw at the time. And we were like, yo, <laughs> do you think they'll play with us? And he ended up being down to do the EP release. And so we started playing shows from then. And I, I think the first day we hung out, I don't know why, but I think I backflipped off their van or something, <laughs> something weird like that happened. And then we were just like, okay, we, we can start hanging out and, and booking shows together. And, yeah, honestly, we've toured and, and done a lot of stuff ever since. Yeah, was like the like your specific that kind of area of Orange County what was it like, uh, like Fullerton? Fullerton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was it like the scene? Was it kind of incorporating like a lot of the area, or was it like because it's a densely populated area? Was it like pockets of stuff, or were you guys just kind of making the rounds everywhere? Like, was our band playing just mm-hmm. there or going everywhere? Or else? like, was there like your band and like a couple bands specific to that oh, area? Yeah, or yeah, like... yeah. I mean, Fuller Fullerton Woodier, it's kind of kind of a trip we grew up in an area that um like the dudes in plague vendor came out of mm-hmm. um they're on epitaph they're an awesome band like an art punk band and um we had a handful of friends that we were kind of like you know competing with in in a way but we just always kind of shot ourselves in the foot because we try and prioritize being unique to the mm-hmm. point where, like, we wouldn't write things that were good. We would just literally try and write something that we thought was weird just because it was weird. Yeah. And we didn't hear it. And <laughs> it took us a very long time to figure out how to make that sound remotely passable yeah. to the average <laughs> listener. I don't know why. I mean, it's not even like it was, like, super original. We'd just try and mix bad ideas with other bad ideas <laughs> and never wanted to copy anybody because we thought that was, like, too easy of a, a right. way out. But that... To answer your initial question, yeah, so we we played there and Let Live would kind of bounce back and forth from Westchester and Inglewood and general Los Angeles area over to Orange County. So we would play with them at this place called The Alley in Fullerton Mm -hmm. like every few months for a good like 
two or three years. And then once once that band became Night Versus, that's when we started touring with Hot Live. Yeah. And then I think like one of the first tours like you guys did, like you rolled through like Iowa City. Yeah. And we went and saw that show. And that's what, like the first time we saw Night Versus. We we're like, whoa. Okay. Fuck, man. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was... Um, Harvard, Let Live, and you guys. Us and Conditions and Rescuer. Oh, yeah. And uh, I actually still write whenever I can with Jesse from Harvard. Oh, really? Yeah, he lives out in California now, doesn't he? He just, literally just moved out like like a month ago, which is so sick because I've been hoping that he'd move out to California for so pretty much since we started jamming after that tour. Because mm-hmm. we've written a lot of, I don't say a lot of music, but we've written, we've written music on and off since then like different sounding projects and just a, a lot of like unfinished work Yeah. that um, we always said if he moved out to California, we would finish. So now that he's there, I, I got to get on that and finish my end of the deal and um, uh, make, make some time for it. I would definitely love to hear that, especially like because like your guys' personalities are so polar opposite, it seems like. Oh, and me and Jesse? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's such a reserved, like quiet guy and he is very outgoing. He's the introvert. You're the extrovert. He, it's funny you say that, though, because he's a uh, he's very open when it comes to writing in a way that I haven't actually experienced with anybody else. I, and that's it's not a bad thing towards anybody else I work with. But like he can come in and have no um, prior idea of what he wants to do and just build off of whatever you you put out there. He's so comfortable with with his ability that he can just turn anything into a song. So it's really cool because he just kind of lets the music come through him and then starts to make sense of it as you're working off of each other, uh, which I've never gotten to do with anybody. Most of the time, it's like somebody comes in with at least a lyric or a melody or a riff mm-hmm. or whatever, and he, he just kills it every time. Like, I don't <laughs> think I've ever gone into a session with Jesse and not come out with something that that I thought was cool. So yeah, uh, I'm stoked to definitely do some more work with him when I can. Real organic. And you guys were like, we were talking about Youngest Fuck when he started like the Night Versus shit. And he told me in the past, like some of those like demos, I don't know if they're still out there. He said like they're, they were like super embarrassing for you. Who, Night Versus? Like, like some of the pre-Night Versus like oh, pre- band stuff. Yeah, I mean, now I think it's funny because I'm further along and like I just know I was young and I, I hadn't. I had a weird way of thinking of things. But at the time, I think last time I talked to you, I was young enough to be like, this is still too close and I haven't done enough. <laughs> so I don't want people to think that's like right where I came from, I guess. Yeah, yeah. granted, that was like four years ago. And then, because it's crazy to think of, like especially now and, and with, you know, Copper Wasp that came out and, uh, uh, you know, Lift Your Existence, it was just like this polished pandemonium. But you were already kind of hinting at that. Like it took you a while, you guys a while to really fine tune it to what it actually became. Totally. And and to be fair, I think this last the album that has Copper Wasp on it, um, from the Gallery of Sleep is the literally like what me, Nick and Riley have been trying to do the entire time. We just didn't know how. Yeah. Like being able to mix stuff that, that pulls from trip hop, like Massive Attack, Portis Head, Hoover Phonic, Tricky, uh, and also stuff like Pink Floyd and then mix in the metal that we grew up on and, and a lot of the prog we did. That was something that we tried and failed with over and over and over. I shouldn't say failed, but just we didn't get it to where we did on that album. So mm-hmm. I know that when we first got that those mixes back from Will Putney, we were just like, damn, this is <laughs> finally what we've been trying to do this whole time. And not that it was ever an intention to be um, instrumental because we loved working with Doug when we did, mm-hmm. um, but just the way that things worked out with uh, how his life moved and how ours was moving it made sense and it was cool to feel that satisfied with something 
without a singer because mm-hmm. we didn't know if that would be uh, the case. And that was like the prior, even before he came, you guys were kind of doing the instrumental shit. Too yeah, much. I mean, we, we wrote instrumentally constantly, but it was always with the plan of putting a singer mm-hmm. over it. So we'd write this semi-complex music and then kind of open up parts as singers would come in mm-hmm. or mistakenly not open them up and <laughs> poor Doug would have to write over these crazy... <laughs> Like wannabe Mars Volta solos and stuff. Because <laughs> we were just kids. We didn't we didn't know what we were doing. Speaking of Doug, uh, I, I just wanted to ask, because I never like kind of knew the story or anyone, and everyone was kind of like really diplomatic about it, and you can say whatever you want to about it. Like uh, his leaving, it, it was pretty amical between you guys, right? Yeah. I mean, um, if, if I'm being completely transparent about the whole situation, basically he – to, to all to his credit, he kind of had to start over with our band. You know, he did 10 years with the sleeping mm-hmm. and went from sleeping on hardwood floors to getting like some decent success and then started over mm-hmm. with us and did five straight years of sleeping on hardwood floors and <laughs> coming home with no money. Mm-hmm. And it just got to the point where the dude got married and was, you know, in his early 30s and just couldn't come home from tour without money anymore. Yeah. Uh, and like... I mean, that was literally just to pay for his apartment. Yeah. So it wasn't anything that we all didn't accept. You know what I mean? Like, it to- we totally understood. Mm-hmm. And what the initial plan was, was to make a side project that was instrumental and continue as Night Versus, but just not tour. Yeah. But, um, you know, after a long discussion with Equal Vision, we were fortunate that they were still willing to put us out as an instrumental group. Mm-hmm. But um, they felt like the best move would be to continue as Night Versus because of all of the, the work that we had done under that moniker. And right. So we talked about it a long time. We talked about it with Doug. And it just seemed to make sense to carry out that concept. Yeah. Um, so we, we moved on in that way. And I'm not saying that there won't be like later projects with Doug for fun because I know Nick recently did some heavy stuff with them just yeah. to see what happens. And, and again, like we love working with him. We think he's got a really cool voice and a very unique perspective, which is why we spent the time we did with him. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, me, Nick and Riley didn't want to have to slow down in any way. And that even just the idea of starting a new project and finding someone else to help fund it and move it along is a lot of slowing down. So mm-hmm. that's why we continued. Yeah. Our speculation, which we were probably weren't helping, adding to the fire. We just thought <laughs> recording with Ross Robinson just really just broke down everything. Oh, no. So you guys were like, oh, we can't fucking be a band anymore or whatever. But. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, Ross is great. He's, yeah. um, the, you know, there's there's a handful. Of, I, I make lists in my phone constantly, and there's a handful of people that have been very important mentors in my life. And it's funny we mentioned John. John Feldman from Goldfinger is one of them, and Ross is without a doubt one of them. And I think the biggest thing that we all got out of working with Ross was his insight into how to channel a different kind of creativity than we had ever experienced through our own music, but had experienced a million times through our favorite records because Ross has done, without a doubt, the biggest number of records that we all collectively love, love from At The Drive into Blood Brothers to Glassjaw to Slipknot to Korn. It's, it's like stuff that we grew up on, stuff that still affects how we write and how we want to write, and getting to work with Ross... And the Cure, I I need to mention that. Oh yeah, that, that was like that's my favorite Cure album. And Cure purists like really they scorn me. For I mean, being it's a like, great. Record. I love that record, and they're just like, Ugh, really? Yeah. I'm like, what? Ah, whatever. They're, they're, <laughs> Fuck off, dude. That's a sick record. Um, but Ross really gave us a perspective on how to approach music that was very unique and gave us some great insight. And it's something that I'll carry with me forever in every project that I do. And that record did come out real weird. In a way that uh, I don't think any of us expected, but to me, it would have been really pointless to go in 
with somebody as unique as Ross and do another record that we could have done without him. Right. So we all committed really hard to trying to do the best that we possibly could uh, and in working with him and kind of mixing our visions as as, uh, as undiluted as possible, yeah. like really making it something that we both worked for. And I again, I'll never forget the time I spent in that studio and, and how we got those results. <laughs> when you haven't been like up to your knees and doing that and making videos and all that stuff, you started doing the fever. What was it like about a year and a half? Ago? Yeah, technically we uh, we started really putting stuff together two years ago, and then kind of came out to the public about a year and a half ago. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, like this kind of like my understanding was like it kind of started as, as like kind of like John Feldman and, and Travis Barker's kind of like concept, right? Uh, it's it's weird. Yeah, yes and no. I mean, mm-hmm. what happened was to give like the full story. Me and me and Jason were writing um, some solo stuff some of Jason's solo stuff on the side. Mm-hmm. He even came to jam with Night Versus on some stuff and just tried to f- kind of figure out what he wanted to do that was new because he was feeling really inspired. But at the time, Let Live was just having some like uh, communication issues and trying to figure out what they were going to do next. So in his downtime, he's like, well, whatever, I'm going to start writing. In that time, he also met up with John and Travis and they started uh, writing. They wrote two of the songs, two and a half of the songs that are out now. And then they were like, this is cool. Let's get a band together and see what happens. So it was definitely them three with the very initial start of this. But there were like little hints of it with with me and Jason beforehand. But we also had real mellow stuff. So full credit to them for saying like, all right, (laughs) let's do it this way. And then come out guns blazing. (laughs) Yeah. And then we all got in a room um, and started writing. And I joined pretty quick. After those two and a half songs, I came in and started working on that other half of one and then writing with them regularly. And then we got Steven like a week later mm. and have been writing pretty consistently ever since. I mean, we tour a lot. So right. every time we have a gap where we're home, we start to compose new music. And the incredibly fortunate side of this whole situation is that Travis and John both have studios and both have engineers. So anytime we want to work on something, yeah. one of them opens their door for us and lets us start working on a song. And we can schedule it that week, sometimes literally the next day. Wow! So that's why we're able to get so much material out in such a short span of time mm-hmm. because they are just so down and so supportive yeah. and very easy to work with. And they, they have strong visions, but they're also really willing to work with our three perspectives so yeah that's what was gonna be my my next question it was like it's more of like a working collaboration yeah mostly the core of you guys but they'll they're kind of like you know dad standing over in the corner like maybe you should try it this way i mean it, it's, it's very much it's very much like uh like working with ross in the sense that you just have strong perspectives and you know we've all been in projects where we got to do absolutely what everything we want like mm-hmm. in let live jason got to do everything he wanted in the chariot steven got to do Oh, like whatever weird, whatever weird <laughs> stuff they wanted. To, I mean, they were literally like at times they'd pull numbers out of a hat and use that to compose their song. Like, wow. he has some awesome stories um, about their creative process. That's very unique. And then with Night Versus, because me, Nick and Riley get along so well, we do absolutely everything that we want and, and work together. So with this band, again, it's the same situation as the Ross one where when you're working with two people that have so much experience and have such an intricate uh, – like uh, intricate's not the right word uh, – a strong back catalog but also just a lot of depth and a lot of variation. You want to learn from those people and you want to see what they have to say. And the cool thing is John and Travis are very different from each other in their approaches. So it's like the songs take a lot of different shapes and then we kind of act as a 
a five-way panel and figure out what we all like and then yeah. we end there that's crazy it's awesome have you always been like this innovator like drummer like using every single piece of your kit like down to like just like sides of the drum kits <laughs> to the bottom of the the fucking like heads like you seem to utilize like every single piece and bringing in like bizarre new shit too like is it like a like a, a are you striving to like you know just change like the concept i guess of how people kind of approach playing the drums and like a standard like you know you have your two heads and your snare and your bass and you know that that's what you use yeah um i mean i i do that's like my number one priority it's hard to say uh i know you're a humble dude and it's hard to be like (laughs) i'm I'm out here to change things (laughs) right 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 but i just think that um i've spent so much time with this inanimate object. I mean, let's be honest, like when you're a musician that's practicing five hours a day, you have to build a relationship with something that can, can inspire you, but at the same time be the most boring thing on the planet when, when things aren't clicking. And I had to look at the artists that I respect most and say, what is the common thread between these people? And more often than not, um, they were very, very stubborn in pursuing a innovative or unique career, even if it, hurt them in in some ways and so you know when i got to the point where i realized this is what i want to do more than anything else in the world i said okay if it's if it's about the life more than it is about the money then i need to apply these rules to my own life so again it's like if i'm going to sit in a room with this anatomy object for five hours a day there's got to be some kind of goal that keeps it interesting and if it's just to get faster i get bored and if it's to learn other people's songs i get bored but if it's to try and do something i haven't seen then it's it's so exciting that I can go five hours and it'll feel like one hour. Yeah. And also, um, I have this huge pet peeve that that literally it, it's so difficult for me to hear and it drives me crazy and it's the most annoying thing in the world and it's when I'm working in a creative field with anybody and they say, well, you know, everything's already been done before. Um, I do not believe that and I think later in life I'll probably do my best to if I'm ever going to do anything in an educational side of things, give examples and help people understand that that is not the case because everything good and everything exciting that I've ever connected with was coming from somebody who said, okay, that's a cool idea. How do I change that? How do I move it into a new space? How do I give my own interpretation? And um, I think right now it's very difficult because it's so easy to copy. I mean, there's YouTube tutorials and there's software and there's so many different options that allow you to directly rip off the things that you like. And although I get that that's enticing and I get that that instant gratification is exciting when you're a young artist and it's exciting for the software company because they make a lot of money because people want to do the things that they hear and they like. But mm-hmm. um, I think as musicians, you should have a certain responsibility where you understand that you were lucky to have the people that did that for you. And now for this next generation, you need to put in the time and the work and the, the difficult hours uh, to innovate the same way your heroes did. Yeah. And so I, I swear, like, I to give you an example, I'm like such a small blip in the map or the history of music. Like, being completely honest, like, there's not probably not a single music history college professor that knows who I am, and that's fine. But that being said... I've never seen a drummer start a drum solo on a headstand. I've never, <laughs> I've never seen a drummer use a Digitech whammy pedal on their kit. I've never seen a drummer do a 360 on his drum stool. I've never seen a drummer do the James Brown microphone kick with the cymbal and bring it back. And I'm not saying this by any means um, 
to, 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 yeah. to, to, yeah, yeah, to pat my own back. It's not, it's not about that. It's just that if me, somebody that has no major impact on the music industry can come up with those things on my, by myself, then everybody else can. Yeah. Um, and it does take a lot of hours and it takes a lot of different types of research. Um, but I don't know. It just, it, if it's what you like doing, you can definitely do it. And so that's why it's really hard for me when I talk to people that act like you can't innovate. Right. Um, I mean, and that's, it's all different. You know, some of it's sonically, some of it's performance wise, mm-hmm. some of it, sometimes it's like integrating illustration into the work um, with the drum heads that I got to do with Remo. And I'm not saying yeah. I'm the first person to do it, but like literally all of these different aspects keep me excited. Yeah. And I kind of wish a lot of the people that I met in the music industry had uh, that same priority, I guess. Yeah. I actually had that written down too. I was like integrating like the physical art into the, the sonic art. It's pretty impressive to me. Thank you, so dude. It's like, uh, so when it comes to like pushing the creative boundaries and, you know, like we were just talking about sonically, stylistically, incorporating the visual art, doing the drumming around the world and like the drumline videos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, where, I mean, we were just kind of talking about that, but I mean, where the fuck does it go next for Mr. Eric and Prada? Uh, I honestly, are you going to jump off like a building and then like, dude, you know, I pull a, a string and glide in with, that was, <laughs> uh, I did at one point really want to hang upside down from a helicopter and play. Oh my God. Um, but honestly, as, as I'm getting older, you know, like I have to, at some point I have to set a cap on, on some of the stuff that's more physically difficult and start to move into other fields um i would still do the helicopter thing if the opportunity presented itself but um i don't know i really just need to keep doing things that i feel are new for myself like for example doing the 40 minute solo in in germany for a minor drum fest was something that i knew would be incredibly challenging and after that I wouldn't have to worry as much about other things that came my way because I'm like, well, if I can play 40 minutes of like some of the hardest drumming I've ever done by myself, then that'll make, you know, the next time I have to learn a gold finger set or something else <laughs> feel a lot easier. Um, and it, it was probably the hardest I've ever worked on something. And I was super um, honored that Minel asked me to do it. But at the same time, now I don't, I don't feel like I have a reason to do another 40 minute solo. I have to find something else. Mm-hmm. So I'm dabbling in a lot of stuff right now. I have a lot of projects that are like, like, 10 to 20 percent started because i usually do that i start a lot of stuff at the same time and then when i feel like one is growing stale at the moment i'll jump to the other one and just keep working keep working and then eventually they start to get done one at a time Um, but i'm always bouncing between them because i try and be as efficient as i can in working um i love all i love illustrating and i love drumming and i love songwriting and i think drumming and songwriting are two very different things and i love performing and um, especially in Fever, the performance itself is almost this separate type of art because we're doing our best to, to push ourselves in, in different ways every single night and climbing different things and <laughs> seeing where the drum set ends up. Like half this tour, we've ended up like in the middle of the pit with the drum set. And oh, wow. So all of those different things are, are really exciting for me. And if, let's say, I drum for five hours and I'm burnt out on it, instead of watching TV, I just go draw Mm-hmm. And I enjoy it just as much, but then I get something done at the same time. Right. So same thing with working in projects. I just try and set them up uh, and organize them in that way. Mm-hmm. So like even you bringing up the drum around the world thing, I'm working, I've been working for the last two years on another video for GoPro that is like two thirds done. Wow. And as our touring schedule continues to increase and take us to places I've never been, I, I don't, I don't know when it's going to end. 
because um, we have like Russia coming up and wow. a couple other countries that I've never visited. We recently did Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Japan, and Australia. And so as those keep coming into this app that tells me my schedule and has a daily update, <laughs> I'm like, shit, I got to keep doing this. So yeah, I'm always working on like multiple things and then just trying to uh, see when the best time is to say it's finished and put it out into the world. And satisfying that creative drive. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it's just, I don't know. For me, I do get inspiration from other people's work. I love when I can see a movie that like blows me away and, and makes me want to work differently on 10 of my other projects. But at the same time, I get a lot more out of finishing something that I, I can call my own than I do binge watching a TV right. show. And then you're on to the next. Yeah, dude. I, uh, I mean, I watched all of The Office like two years ago. Yeah. And it was great. And, uh, you know, I mean, the show's funny for what it is. But I remember after being like, oh, my God, how much time did I spend? I could have, like, mastered drawing realistic faces. Yeah. There's some, something else that I right. needed to improve on my illustration uh, work. And I was just like... God, I can't do this again. So I do, to be fair, I do prefer movies because it's like you go in and by the time you leave, usually you got the whole story. Yeah, and you're done. Yeah. Yeah. I think when I'm old, I'll catch up. When I'm like <laughs> when I'm like 80 and I have arthritis in every single joint in my body, I will definitely watch all of Game of Thrones and all of Breaking Bad and every show that I've never watched a single episode of. Maybe. But I think once you're like kind of that creative person, it just kind of doesn't stop. I think you'll probably get into like model birdhousing or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Building ships inside of the bottles, like the little tiny. Oh, that mate. I will be that guy. <laughs> unfortunately. Well, From... cool, man. Like I de- again, I definitely appreciate taking the time to do this, and it's awesome catching up with you again. So. Yeah, dude. I. Uh, it's funny. Like I'm so busy right now that it's hard for me to get to set aside this time but um speaking of old projects i did that documentary a long time ago with night versus where i was asking people when they listen to music what do they listen for and this is again when we were sleeping on hardwood floors and would drive like seven hours just to get a roof even if that meant that we had no bed and we're not eating any food so at that time i remember you helping me out and being down and (laughs) I can't thank you enough because anybody that helped us in that phase, it's like I am forever grateful. So anytime you come through, feel free to hit me up. Cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And yeah, it will.
dude, you got a good memory. 